Hello, crime historians, and welcome back to another episode of A Crime Story. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, and I'm originally from the United States, Texas to be exact, and I moved to France in December 2018, and when I moved here, I started hearing about all these crazy cases that I've never heard about, so I decided to create a crime story podcast to tell you all about it. So without further ado, let's just hop into the 11th episode of A Crime Story. For today's episode of A Crime Story, we head out of Europe to cover a case in Egypt. I know my first African case. I'm so excited. I never knew of this case or about this case until I read a great book called Lady Killers by Tori Teffler. And if you need a good book to read, it is a great one. Every chapter is a different lady serial killer, and it's just a really good book to read. After I read that chapter, I decided to do more research about this case, and I think that's the purpose of this podcast, for me to do more research about cases and for your interest to be piqued about these cases so you can investigate further. Now, this case was a tough case to research as few English language sources exist. And beyond language barriers, the events of this story happened over a hundred years ago. And there was a revolution in Egypt at the time, which likely overshadowed non-sationalized reports about this case. Nevertheless, it's an interesting case that needs to come to light. And today we meet serial killers. Yes, you've heard that correct. Killers. And our two killers just so happen to be sisters. As always, let's begin with talking about the legal system in Egypt. The judicial system in Egypt consists of both secular and religious courts. The system is based off of European courts, primarily France, and derives from the Napoleonic Code. When this crime story takes place, World War I had just ended, and Egyptians thought that they would get their independence from Britain right after the war. But not so fast, said Britain, and when it didn't happen, a revolution broke out, known as the Egyptian Revolution of 1919. A new constitution got implemented in 1923, and British troops did not leave Egypt until the 1950s. Now we have some legal and historical background. Let's dive into the story of Egypt's sister murderesses. And a little note before I begin. I'm sorry if I mispronounce any of these words. I'm not Egyptian. I don't have any Egyptian friends, sadly, who could have helped me out on this. But I did try to look up the pronunciation, so hopefully they're correct. Sister One, Raya, was born in 1875. And Shakina, 10 years younger, grew up in an isolated village in Upper Egypt to neglectful and abusive parents. They grew up poor and their father eventually abandoned the family, leaving the two girls with a narcissistic mother and a work-shy older brother. The family moved often and wandered around Upper Egypt as the two girls sold roasted veggies on the streets and would occasionally find work waitressing. At times, they would join their mother to help commit robberies, but this really wasn't making ends meet, so Shakina became a sex worker. Uh, she met her husband, uh, not clear if she met him on the job 
or not, but Shakina and her husband moved to the city of Tonta. After they moved, they soon break up, they divorce, and Shakina moves back into the sex trade. Sadly, she ends up in the hospital suffering from a venereal disease, and in the hospital, she ends up meeting and marrying husband number two. That's when they moved to Alexandria, Egypt, but soon divorce, and soon thereafter, Shakina marries husband number three. A few years later, her widowed sister, Raya, joins her sister in Alexandria with her new husband, who happened to be her ex-husband's brother, who was a skilled hashish smuggler. The two sisters and their husbands stood out in Alexandria as they had all come from Upper Egypt and had an accent as well as distinctly darker skin. Known as Sadis, both family faced disadvantages in Alexandria and the typical othering fashion were accused of moral failings. Alexandria from ancient times, a cosmopolitan trade city composed of nearly one-third of its inhabitants from elsewhere, and so they did have other outsiders to commune with. The sisters settled in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Alexandria, known as Al-Laban. When World War I broke out, Egypt experienced a deepening economic crisis, and the two sisters and their husbands just could not find work. War often creates opportunities, and the British had set up a camp in Alexandria. So the sisters and their husbands create a brothel next to the camp to help cater to young British soldiers who were away from home. Apparently, a market existed, and the money just started pouring in. The sisters, who were the brains of the enterprise, rented out rooms to sex workers in exchange for half of the pay that they earned. Sex work did not violate the law and had been legal in Egypt since 1882, but had regulations that the two sisters just didn't feel that they need to follow. Thus, their brothel, albeit highly profitable, was illegal and created a problem for their sex workers, which were some of the highest paid women at the time, and how to protect their money. They could not use banks in Egypt because first, they were women, and second, their money was illegal. And remember, Egypt also suffered from a poor economy, so who knew if their money would have been safe in the banks? So instead, sex workers deposited their money in gold jewelry. The more money a gal made, the thicker bands of necklaces and bracelets they would buy. And the men wanted to sleep with women who had so much jewelry that they would jingle. Not to overanalyze too much, but more jewelry on one seems more of a greater risk of disease, but apparently a British soldier found it differently. Raya and Shakina did not like the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, when World War I came to an end. Their British clients returned home, and now the police had gotten wind of their unregulated illegal brothel and closed them down. So the sisters simply moved their brothel into their home. But to make matters worse, their husbands, who worked as camp laborers during the war, no longer had a job and wanted to help run the business. And this made the sisters mad because they liked being, because they liked being the boss, the main honcho. 
but seems that the sisters maintained some control of their business as they partnered up with their landlord. A cafe was on the first floor and the sisters' business was on the second floor. And the two sisters would use the cafe to lure patrons upstairs. The jewelry continued to be an attraction for the sisters, but now they had to buy the gold jewelry for their sex workers in order to lure in customers, whereas during the war, the sex workers were able to buy the jewelry for themselves. And the two were widely known not to treat their workers very well and likely cheated them. They also had to deal with the neighborhood gang and gangsters called Fituwa, who required payment for quote-unquote protection. Despite their well-thought-out business plan, the brothel tanked as winds of change emerged in Alexandria and revolutionary fever emerged. The sisters needed to adjust. In 1920, neighbors of Raya and Shakina started noticing an insane amount of incense wafting from their home. It burned day and night without fail. In December 1920, a foul odor that even the incense couldn't hide spoiled the air. The police received complaints about the heavy, foul, rotten smell coming from the sisters' homes. At about the same time, while reworking the neighborhood plumbing system, a worker discovered two bodies. Also around the same time period, police found human remains on the side of the road near one of the sisters' residences. Except for a long braid in the hair, the completely dismembered body could not be identified. Evidence remains unclear if the police went to the sisters' home to investigate recently found bodies or because of the complaints of the smell from the neighbors. But upon arrival, became overwhelmed with a strong smell of something rotting and that the burning incense could not hide. Raya claimed that she wanted to get rid of the smell of the brothel customers who drank and smoked inside of her establishment. But officers noticed a different coloring of the tiles on the floor, and upon lifting them up, discovered three bodies. It goes without saying that this led to the rest, as well as searches of all the previous places that Raya and Shakina had rented. Authorities found remains of 17 women and crime scenes that involved four places in the Lebon district of Alexandria. So, what happened? How did these 17 women die at the hands of Raya and Shakina? Are the 17 women discovered the totality of the victims? Given all that happened during the World War and the revolution in an underdeveloped country, we will never likely know the full extent. Sources state that Raya and Shakina wanted the gold to be worn by their sex workers, but not all of those who killed worked in the sex trade and had just annoyed Raya in some way. One sex worker wore new gold in an amount that Raya thought that she couldn't afford. Had she cheated the sisters and taken more than she had earned? Well, we'll never know because she winded up dead. Another sex worker ended up dead for not saying goodbye to Raya in the proper way. One victim who was not a sex worker but a poultry saleswoman named Zanuba had actually 
been a friend of the sisters and came by to collect a debt, but ended up dead. Most of the victims met the sisters in the marketplace and had gold on, and the sisters just simply wanted their gold. Autopsies confirmed that all of the victims were female between the ages of 20 to 50 and all died of asphyxiation. The sisters lured their victims into their homes and poisoned them with wine to make the women dizzy and disorientated. Brutal yet efficient, they used the disorientation to stuff a rag in their mouth and then they would hold their legs and arms down while strangling life away. The sisters did not work alone and the police arrested six people in connection to the 17 victims. Raya Shakina, their two husbands, and two Fituwa, who remember were like the gangsters of the neighborhood. But Raya and Shakina masterminded these crimes, and this shocked Egyptians most. Egyptian newspapers had their story, and the sisters' faces went on the front page, and even illiterate people in Egypt knew of them. The story intersected crimes committed by outsiders from Upper Egypt, and the press lumped on the victims as sex workers. The topic spurred discussions of wavering moral values in Egypt, and the press and crowds blamed the victims for their own deaths, which I just frankly find disgusting. Raya and Shakina went on trial in May 1921, and the prosecution had a star witness, Raya's nine-year-old daughter, Badia. She testified that she saw family members suffocating women and burying them under the floor of their houses. She also stated that the family would then carry on as nothing had happened. Just think of all the mental trauma this nine-year-old girl had. The prosecution asked for no mercy of Raya and Shakina, asking for the death penalty. And according to Tori Teffler's book, the three-day trial was spotted with vague statements, inconsistencies, and sketchy behavior. The criminal statements were all over the place. But after this odd trial, the court found all six of them guilty and handed down the death sentence for all of them. Raya and Shakina were the first women in modern Egypt to be sentenced to death. Women without mercy receive no mercy. Egypt carried out the sentence on December 21st, 1921, dressed in red executioned garments, which were specially tailored to them. Authorities led the sisters to receive justice. As they tied the rope around Shakina's neck, she said, I murdered, but it's okay because I fooled the police. This is the place where strong people stand, and I am a strong woman, and I have done things even men can't do. How profound. <laughs> yeah, right. The press later called Shakina one of the craziest people to ever stand on the scaffold. The following day, their husbands and the two gangsters were hanged. This case has often been compared to the case I covered last week of the Papan sisters. Due to similar upbringings, them both being sisters, and possibly a motive could have been a class struggle. Well, this completes the 11th episode of a crime story podcast, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this little known case of serial killers. Do you think they only killed for gold? And what do you think about the four crime scenes? 
Also, how crazy is it that a nine-year-old helped bring them all to justice? You can comment on a crime story Instagram at a crime story pod, where I will be posting images of today's story. You can also comment on a crime story podcast on Facebook or a crime story pod on Twitter or my website, a crime story podcast.com where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story underneath the blog tab. Or you can even comment and see additional photos of a crime story podcast on YouTube. I have also started a TikTok under the name A Crime Story Podcast, so make sure to go check it out. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, it helps others find the show. Also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope to see you next time where I will be covering a case from Australia that was actually suggested by a listener and I never knew about this case before and guys, it is nuts. You won't want to miss it. A Crime Story is hosted, created, and written by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found on my website, acrimestorypodcast.com. Theme music is by Ross Budgen, and additional story editing is brought to you by my father, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to A Crime Story, and remember to stay safe at home and abroad. I'll see you next week. (laughs) 